Just before we come and think for a few moments about John's gospel, let's pray and ask for God's help and his presence. Father God, we know from John's account that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Father God, we know that Jesus and the Spirit have been together with you, a perfect community of fellowship for all eternity. But Lord, we thank you for that moment in time when you sent Jesus. Jesus, for that moment in time when you came and the Word became flesh. And Lord, 2,000 years later, we're the people who get to read uh, John's account of the life of Jesus. And Lord, we get to, to know your Spirit opening our eyes to seeing Jesus as he walks off the pages of, of your Word and makes himself known to us in our lives. Lord, we pray you'd do that today, just one last time as we look at John's Gospel together. Amen. As I've said, this morning we finish a series in John's Gospel, which uh, began way back in September, actually, uh, 9th of September. This is the 28th time uh, that we're looking at John's Gospel together, so um, always... Always quite an achievement to, to finish a long series like that. Whenever we started, um, I remember that, that first look that we had at John's Gospel, that we, we tried, to, tried to take the book at, at face value. And I don't know if you'll remember this, but I introduced John's Gospel by talking about the ways in which professors at college had made us review books uh, when we were studying there. Uh, so we, we wanted to, to hear what God would say through John to us as we just took his book uh, and looked at it as we looked for John's subject, his thesis, and his purpose. The, the subject of John's gospel, we, we wanted to know what, what's this about? The thesis, what's, what's John's point about his subject? And then his purpose, why is John writing? What's he trying to evoke in the hearts of his hearers. I want to use those three questions very briefly to see what's happened as we've read John's Gospel together these last months. John's subject, um, you might enjoy having your Bible open in front of you and just flicking a wee bit with me at this point, but in the very opening, uh, John doesn't keep you waiting at all to know what his subject is in John's Gospel. He tells us in the opening verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's telling us about the Word, but it's a bit mysterious. We don't really know who that is. And before long, in the account, we realize that it's Jesus Christ. And I suppose the thing that's become clear as we've now read through the whole of the Gospel and we've seen it, that although there are all sorts of characters uh, there are the disciples, the religious leaders, there are the individuals who cross Jesus' path. All sorts of characters. There's only ever one uh, focal point. At every turn, John's been telling us about Jesus. 
He begins talking about Jesus. He ends talking about Jesus. If you flick to the very final verses uh, of the whole gospel there, page 1091, John 21, 25. Colin read it a moment ago. John concludes his book about Jesus, and he says, Jesus did many other things as well. By the way, that's important to understand, that the Gospels are only a a sampling. Uh, Even the four of them taken together are only a tiny sampling of of the life of Jesus. John goes on, "If, if every one of the things that Jesus had done were written down, then the whole world wouldn't have room for the books that would be written. John's being very honest here. He's saying you, you can't capture Jesus Christ in 21 short chapters, a 30-page pamphlet of a book. It would take the whole world and more to, to capture Jesus. So, John's subject, Jesus Christ. Whether you're someone who's known Jesus all, all your life, or whether you'd hardly ever given him the time of day, I hope that if you've been around these last months, I hope you've seen more of Jesus. I hope that subject that we've been looking at as we've followed John's teaching has shown you Jesus Christ, God among us, the Savior of the world. His subject's Jesus. What's his thesis? What, what, what's the point that John wants us to hear about Jesus. John wants us to know that Jesus Christ came to give us life. That's, that's it. That's the point that he wants us to know. Chapter 1 and verse 9, he tells us that the true light that gives life to every man was coming into the world. That gives life to every man was coming into the world. That's his thesis, John's point. And he reinforces that point right throughout the gospel. Um, Probably most famously, um, if you know one verse from John's gospel, I'll guess it's John 3.16. God loved the world so much that he gave his son. Why? That whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. So Jesus is God's one and only son, and he's talking here in John 3.16 about himself, and he says, I've come so that people can have life. In John 10, verse 10, he describes the life that he's come to give as life to the full. I don't know about you. Um, I think it's hard to read the Gospels if you've been around the church a long time. If you did all the Sunday school stuff, you read the Gospels in a certain way, and unless you're careful, you'll go through the rest of your life with an eight-year-old understanding of Jesus Christ. So what we all need to do is come back and read again with, with grown-up eyes and ears and hear it all over again. But as I've been doing that, as I've been preparing to teach you, I just think the fullness of the life that Jesus offers is, is more than I'd ever accounted for. I listen to Jesus' teaching, whether it's Nicodemus uh, in the darkness of the night or the religious leaders that he's mostly confronting, and I can't help but think, Jesus, I would love even a fraction 
of that wisdom in me. Jesus teaching. I find it spellbinding. I see Jesus healing all sorts of people, uh, whether they're blind or lame or troubled. And last week, Peter uh, needed a totally different kind of healing. He was entirely disillusioned with himself. I find myself looking at all those healings, all those times when Jesus comes alongside someone and, and just brings health in whatever form it's needed. And, and I find myself thinking, Lord, heal me. Straighten me out. Make me pure and true and strong and good. I know from John's account as well that Jesus rose from the dead and that he was able to raise other people from the dead. And I want that too. I want to know that I can live my life now and later on in my life approach the end of my life knowing that Jesus Christ is stronger than death and that because the grave didn't hold him it's not going to hold me either. I want that too. His teaching, his healing, his, his ability to bring life from the dead I think those things were probably things I understood more clearly than this last thing. The thing that's been striking me about the life of Jesus is that it's a life full of joy and celebration and vitality. And I'm not sure I knew that. Think of how John bookends his gospel. If you know much about literature, you'll know that bookending is a very powerful technique where you start and you finish with similar, uh, a similar idea and that reinforces it and makes it somehow uh, an overarching idea. How does, how does John's gospel begin? His first account of John interacting with people, he's at a party, he's at a wedding, and they've run out of wine. And the crisis is this, the party's running out of steam. And this is the first miracle that God among us does. He does a miracle to make sure the party doesn't run out of steam. Because he doesn't like it when we don't celebrate. And then we thought last week about the last account in John's Gospel about his interaction with people. And this time, it's it's a quieter setting. But it's a beautiful relational setting nonetheless. He's sitting around a a fire on the beach grilling breakfast for his friends starts and finishes in the company of people richness and fullness of life joy and intimacy and friendship life with Jesus it turns out is rich and it's full of friends Friendship with him and friendship with all those who are his friends too. It's full of joy. And I suppose my question as I've been reading John's gospel and I've seen this, or heard this glorious teaching, seen these uh, healings, I've seen new life come to people and I've seen the kind of life 
that Jesus lives. I just wonder, have I entered into it? The fullness of life that Jesus offers. I think I've seen glimpses of it, is the truth. I'm grateful to God that I've been in some communities where I've seen glimpses of this. But I know I want more. I know I want to discover the the kind of life that, that Jesus invited his disciples into. And I wonder about you. Would you say you're living life to the full in Jesus Christ? And if not, isn't it time we were? Isn't it time? So John subjects Jesus. His thesis is that Jesus came to give us life. What's his purpose in writing? What, what response does he want from somebody who sits and reads his 21 chapters? Well, he tells us that he wants people to believe. If you look uh, to chapter 20, verse 30, this is probably the, the key point to summarize John's purpose in the whole of his gospel. Chapter 20, verse 30. Colin read this for us a moment ago, and John's entirely explicit. Not every writer does this for you, by the way, where he tells you, here's why I'm writing, but John does. It's, it's good for guys like me who, who aren't always the quickest at picking things up. He, he says, right, here's why I'm writing. He says, chapter 20, verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Do you see how in that one sentence our three ideas are all wrapped together? His subject, Jesus Christ. His thesis is that Jesus came to bring us life. And he now tells us, well, that's why I'm writing that you might believe in Jesus Christ and that by believing you might have life in his name. Folks, if you know me well, you'll know that I share John's purpose. Anytime I preach for you, this, this is what I would love to be your experience, that you know that you've been pointed to Jesus Christ that, that you've been encouraged to see that there's life in his name and that you've been invited to believe. That's why I do what I do here. That's why I spend time on a weekly basis preparing. This isn't, uh, this isn't about maintaining some 400-year-old Presbyterian tradition that a guy stands at the front and, and talks This is about people believing in Jesus Christ. I want you to find full and eternal life in his name. If you're someone who's already trusted in Jesus, my prayer is that that looking at God's word together here and in, in your discipleship groups and in your homes, that that would be building you, be growing the life of Christ in you. But if you've never yet trusted Jesus, then my prayer is that these moments are the moments where God opens your eyes. And we see who Jesus is. 
Like John, I preach so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that may, by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote his book looking for a response. He wanted people to respond, and he tells us there what the response is. He wants the response of belief. And I want to spend the last bit of time here this morning thinking briefly about what it would look like to respond in the way that John invites in his gospel. If you feel that God is drawing you, what should you do? What would a response look like? Let me make three suggestions. First of all, if you felt God's Spirit drawing you towards Jesus Christ, then I think you have a decision to make. And the decision is this. Are you ready to follow Jesus Christ? That's the decision. Now, we're a church that encourages people to think long and hard about that. Um, So our teaching in a Sunday morning, I hope, would help people to to come to know Jesus and to weigh him up. We also offer things like Christianity Explored, a chance to be in a smaller group and cover some of the Christian fundamentals and ask some questions. Something like the Reason for God series, where we allow people to ask difficult questions they have about Christian faith and its authenticity, and what about science and religion? What about God who allows suffering? All those questions. So we're, we're a church that really believes in offering opportunities to, to weigh it all up. But here's the thing. You could go to 10 of those courses. You could go to every course that's on offer. And then you could wait for the next course to be launched, which won't be far away, because the church generates these courses. And you'll still have a decision to make. Because the call of Jesus Christ on us isn't this. I can't find anywhere in the Gospels Jesus saying, come and inform yourself about me. doesn't seem to say that. Actually kind of takes that for granted. Jesus says a different thing. He says, come, follow me. So the informing ourselves about him is critical because we want to know what the following will look like. But the end game is this decision. Follow me. So if you've sensed God speaking to you either during this series or or for any other reason in your life, I'm asking you to, to just consider that you have a decision to make. Second thing then, if you felt God's Spirit drawing you towards Jesus Christ, you have an action that you need to take. And the question is this, are you ready to to change your life? To act on the basis of what you've seen and this decision that's welling up in you. It's not a cheap thing or a casual thing to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus expects our lives to change. I want you to understand this. Do you remember we looked at the the Samaritan woman at the well quite early in John's gospel? 
Jesus does a, a great thing where he's very, uh, he's very willing to engage her, uh, even though that was countercultural for a Jewish man to talk to a Samaritan woman. So he go over any boundary to engage this woman. And, and I suppose the word we'd put on that is acceptance. But if you read carefully in the story, he probes her about her, her morality and the way she's living. The conversation turns at one point to the five husbands that she's already had. So Jesus, both at the same time, is wonderfully accepting and yet says, you can and must change. And those two things sit easily together for Jesus. Maybe another example will just help reinforce that for us. Do you remember the story about the woman caught in adultery? They dragged her before Jesus uh, and the religious leaders were looking for Jesus either to, either to acquit her and be a lawbreaker himself if he said, no, there's nothing wrong with what this woman's done, or else to have her stoned. And Jesus, as always, finds this incredible, uh, elusive ground that, that I, I can never find my way to of grace and truth. What he does is he, he says to the woman, I don't condemn you. So the acceptance is all there. And in the same breath, almost, he says, go and sin no more. There's a, an action to take. There's a change that God calls for in our lives. The Bible uses a word, and in Ulster we have killed this word a little bit. It's more likely to be plastered on a gable of a building or written badly on a, on a rock somewhere in the countryside. Or The words repent, it's a great word. What does repent mean? It doesn't mean some of the things we think it means. It doesn't mean feeling sorry for your sins, things you've done wrong. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't even mean saying sorry. That's not what it means. Repent means turn around. The truth is, I think you can repent without ever saying a word. But you could say all the words in the world and never truly repent. Repentance is, is an active turning around. It means simply this. Up until a point, or up until today, I was walking my own way, and then God showed me that I'm not the God of my own life, that I'm not in charge. Jesus Christ is. And if I want to live well, I need to turn around. I need to repent. And I need to walk in a totally different way. That's repentance. And it's an action that we must take if we sense God's Spirit drawing us to Jesus Christ. There's a decision that we have to make and an action that we have to take. And thirdly, there's a crowd that we need to join. And the question is whether we're willing to publicly identify ourselves with Jesus Christ and with the community of his people, the church. Are you ready to be recognized by your family and your friends as a, as a Jesus person? A Jesus follower. The truth is, we don't always come to Jesus publicly. 
I think Nicodemus, um, I, I think he's more characteristic of a lot of people than I maybe realize. He comes quietly at night so that nobody notices. So he wants to get to know Jesus without anybody knowing that he's coming to get to know Jesus. Maybe you're here Sunday by Sunday, and for all the world you look just like an, another Ulster churchgoer. You're somebody who's just coming because, hey, some people in Belfast still go to church. I can sneak in there. Nobody, nobody need know that I'm taking this quite seriously. I'm actually paying attention to what, what the Bible says and, and whenever somebody's trying to teach it, I, I, I'm trying to hear it. And over the time, God's drawn me in. And he's reached me and he's spoken to me and, and I'm beginning to become convinced of, of what I've seen there in God's word. Well, maybe the time's come when, when you need to respond. You need to go public about the thing that's been happening quietly and privately in your life. For most of us, that feels like a, a terrifying moment. We'll say, oh, it's a private thing between me and God. Folks, whenever we really fully and truly encounter Jesus Christ, something happens inside us, the likes of which we can't and won't hide we'll start to share it uh, with other people. So, there's a decision to make, an action to take, and a crowd to join. Here at Kirkpatrick Memorial, as well as giving people opportunities to think and to, to find help with the decision that they're making about Jesus Christ, we also offer opportunities for action, to actually make the response that John has been asking for in his gospel. We give people the opportunity to come and to profess living faith in Jesus Christ and to join his church family. So every year at our June communion, less than two months from now, we welcome a bunch of new communicants. And I need to explain very briefly uh, what that's all about. For me, it's the highlight of our church year because it shows it's the, one, it's the one thing that I care about in the church. There's so many things that happen, but the thing that I really care about is to see people come to faith in Jesus and grow in him. The group that will be here in a few weeks' time is going to be made up of all sorts of different people. But there'll be two broad categories, and I need you to understand this. Some of the people who come will join us from other churches because they've already been journeying with Jesus for, for some time, and because of a change in their circumstances, they've come and joined Kirkpatrick Memorial. And that's great, because this is a moment where they'll get a chance to reaffirm their commitment to Jesus, and in, in a tangible way, make a commitment to this church. So it's a great moment for those people who, who already know Jesus but are coming to know us at Kirkpatrick Memorial. But this is where it might get interesting for you. 
Some of the people who are going to stand here in June are doing this for the first time. There are people who either over years and months or just like that, God has reached them and they have come to the point of decision and they have said yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him. They've decided to follow Jesus, to make the U-turn and to commit themselves publicly to him and to his church. I was in my teens when I did that. Tried to work out which year it was and I couldn't nail it. can't remember. Somewhere in my mid-teens. I made my public profession of faith and uh, became a, a full member of the church Hamilton Road Presbyterian down in Bangor. As a child, you see, I'd been taught about Jesus and I'd been prompted by his spirit to respond. I knew that Jesus was who he said he was, that without him I was lost. And I knew that the time had come for me to to name it, to nail my colors to the mast and to say, I'm following Jesus now. And we're done with John's gospel. And John's told us that the whole point of him writing was that we might believe and have life in his name. And I'm, and I'm asking you whether now's the time when you've reached that stage. When you know that you can't say no any longer. When the beauty of Jesus and his magnetic pull have become stronger than you can resist anymore. When are you going to come out and name it and say, I follow Jesus. If you would need some encouragement or help along that road, find a, find a, a good, mature Christian friend and talk to them about that. As I say often here, I'd be delighted if that person was me, if I can help you with that. I usually pray after I teach from the Bible. Um, This morning I'd like to use a prayer from a a book that I used in in preparing this sermon. So it's not my own words. So I'm going to read some words for you. But it's a prayer that's written for people who have reached that point where they know the moment has come for them and they want to name Jesus Christ as their Lord and commit themselves to him. Even if you've been following Jesus for years, listen and pray with me. Use it as a prayer to recommit yourself in all those ways that you did uh, those years ago. So, let's pray.
Father God, thank you for working the miracle of new birth in me. Thank you for the gift of faith that you've awoken in my heart. Thank you for making Jesus real to me through your written word. Thank you that though I can't see him by his spirit, I can still experience his presence in my life. Today, I want to commit myself to Jesus and become his true disciple. I know that there are things in my life that don't please you. Help me as I determine to try to put them right. Give me the courage I need to tell others what you've done for me. I want to be part of your church. I want to demonstrate by my obedience to all Jesus' teaching that my commitment is true. As I do that, Father, will you keep me close to you and show me day by day more of your love? Amen.